The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Wednesday, May 10th. We're recording a little early, a day earlier than normal because someone has some fun Mother's Day festivities. <laughs> Mother's Day at the school tomorrow, big morning. <laughs> so that takes over our usual recording time. So thank you for fitting it in a day earlier. It makes my life a lot easier. <laughs> Do you at least get some like good food out of it or something? Well, I think so. So they have a breakfast, which I think it's more, the breakfast is kind of more so for the mums who have to then go on to work. So I'm going to go to the kind of thing that's an hour later where we go to the classrooms and then, you know, see all the work that the kids have done. And then they have like a Mother's Day presentation type thing. So hopefully (laughs) there'll be some nice morning tea, maybe. (laughs) Nice. Coffee at least, hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) Might need some of that. (laughs) Yeah. Or Coke Zero, (laughs) Pepsi Max. (laughs) Exactly. My usual morning beverage. Yes. We always, Olivia and I always joke because we both like to have um, a Pepsi Max or Coke Zero in the morning like psychopaths I don't drink like a whole lot of coffee I don't have coffee every day but it's like sometimes I do but every single day I will have a Pepsi Max usually or a Diet Coke if there's no Pepsi Max which I know people might be offended by that you know everyone's someone everyone's team Pepsi or team Coke I'm team Coke I'll fucking die before I drink a Pepsi (laughs) I could be dying of thirst and someone will have a Pepsi I'll be like no no I'll die (laughs) I will always go for Pepsi Max first and then and then Coke Zero. I didn't even say Diet Coke, Coke Zero. Yeah, I don't like – I like Coke Zero better. I wonder if you'll have to, like, taste them when you come here, if they're, like, taste different at all. I between. feel like I've had them there before when I've been there and they don't taste different. Yeah, everyone always I'll, says I'll everything here is, like, way more sugar. Well, I guess because maybe normal Coke might taste a little bit different, but yeah, I don't really drink I normal Coke. We call it full-strength Coke. <laughs> full-strength. <laughs> What's been happening with you? Nothing really. I have my bachelorette coming up this weekend. Um, we're going to Boston. And it's sad because like, it's like I'm the most excited about just not having to work yeah. Friday and Monday. <laughs> but like, that's not really what I'm most excited for. Obviously, I'm excited to go and have it's fun. It's a nice little but bonus. I'm, yeah, I'm also just like, oh my God, I don't have to work for a Friday and a Monday. That's so nice. That'll be amazing. But yeah, I'm excited. We're going to Boston. I'm going to go to some of the breweries there that I like to go to. I'm going to go to this rooftop. It's such a weird time of year around here because it's spring, but it can still be pretty cold, but it can also be hot. So I was watching the weather like crazy because I was trying to like plan my outfits. And at first, like when I looked last week sometime, it was like the highs were in like the 60s, which is nice, but like a cold, it was still going to be in I mean, at night it was going cold and being like the 40s. And I was like, eh, because we're going to like this rooftop on the water at like nine o'clock one night. It'd be so breezy. Already, yeah, colder because it's on the water. I was like, it's going to be so cold. And I was originally going to wear like a white dress and like a little denim jacket. I was like, I'm going to freeze. So then I planned a whole nother outfit, bought like a whole nother outfit. I'm going to wear like leather leggings and I got white cowboy boots that I'll never wear again in my life, but <laughs> I felt like it would be cute all out. with the outfit. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I felt so much shame buying these cowboy boots. I was like, 
there's some places you could wear them, but I feel like where I live in, in New York is just like not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> you started a trend. I, it was one of those things where I kept looking at them like every day for like a week and I was like, just fucking get them. Like I keep yeah. going back and being like, ah, should I do it? And I got this cute little white like pearl crop top thing. And then I got a little denim jacket with like little pearls on it too. So I got that so I could be warm, like leather leggings and all that. And now the temperature is just going up and up and up. It's still going to be cold <laughs> enough to wear at night. But now during the day, it's going to be like in the 80s. And I'm like, oh okay, gosh. you can stop now. <laughs> I don't even want to be tempted to wear shorts. Because whenever I'm like, I'm going to wear shorts. And then I'm like, I regret wearing shorts. <laughs> <laughs> See, I live in shorts basically. Even now, like it's just now, Nelly, we're nearly in winter and it's just now getting cold enough that I can't wear shorts. But I wear shorts all the time. <laughs> I like my legs are just like out of control I hate them well not that I hate them but <laughs> I have the hardest time finding shorts that fit me because my waist is like a little smaller and then my thighs are really big so everything's either like super tight on my thighs or like really big on my waist so I have like the hardest time with them you got to go the paper bag style because they kind of got the more cinched in waist but like I always see those else. they're so comfortable I've actually got paper bag jeans on at the moment too they're very very comfortable I can never decide what'll look good on me or not because I have like bigger hips and like a bigger butt so I feel like I have a no, hard that's time that's absolutely pressing. me like I've got a smaller waist I've got like hips are my thing and so yeah absolutely I find them so oh, really yeah I'll try, try them. them I'm always tempted but yeah I have a hard time with shorts because then they're always they always ride up on me really bad and then I'm like wow these look really short because they're riding up and then if I sit down they turn into like underwear basically <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I'm always like yeah I'm gonna wear shorts they're so cute and then I'm like why did I do this to myself <laughs> Now that we had this random chat, people are like, so annoyed. Oh, my God. And I just get to the, get to the point. <laughs> and I didn't even say, I keep being like, you have to mention that there's a timestamp at the start. And I always forget. <laughs> even in the last episode, we actually put two timestamps because we spoke about a different crimes or different crimes. And then, yeah, I'll get onto the chat. So if you are in a rush and you don't want to listen, go to the notes. It's always in there. Yeah. I'll try to remember to say it at the start next time. But I just get so excited. <laughs> um, so, yeah. That's that. Hopefully I have a good time. Make it back to record. Stay away from the water. If you're a man, you'll be fine. You're not a man. Sorry, you're not a man. <laughs> you're not a man. You'll be fine. <laughs> I know. Well, hopefully I, I don't try to like prove the, the stigma wrong. <laughs> um, we have, we're going to talk a little bit. We have a little update. Well, I guess it's a big update. A it's short a update, update, but a big update about Bo Man, yeah. who was missing. You know more about it than me, so you could t- tap in. We did an episode, we had a combined episode for Bowman and Heidi Plank who were both missing in LA. Um, we did it because at the time when we did Bo's episode, there wasn't much information. So now I think the episode's probably almost a year old, if not a bit more. But anyway, since our episode, a lot more has come out and Bo has actually been found. I think he was found on April 25th. So just, you know, a few weeks ago, he was found deceased in an abandoned, he, the Los Angeles medical examiner said he was found in a yard. Um, it's I've seen some reports that say it was kind of an abandoned building, but I feel like he was found in the courtyard of an abandoned building. We don't really know much else besides that he was identified by dental records. So I'm assuming he had probably been there the whole entire time since November 2021. Um, really. Yeah, I, I like, and it was he was found. So in our episode, I don't, I don't, because we really need to do a proper episode. But basically, since our episode, we've found out that he was dropped off at an by the Uber at an address in Santa Monica, and he was found, I think, point two miles away from that address. 
Um, the person who owns that address or lived at that address is a woman called Joanna Good, and she actually passed away in January this year as well. Um, she battled with addiction since it's all come out that Bo was likely still also struggling with addiction. So there's a lot that has come out about that case. I feel like there's some cases that just really capture you and for me, Bo's case was one of those. So we would definitely do a proper update, but we just wanted to let you all know that he has been found. I've done a blog for it too, just with the information so far. So you can check that out. But a real proper episode for Bo is coming soon. Yeah. When we record that episode, it's almost like outdated at this point because there was so, not so little information, yeah. but there wasn't a lot of information, but all there is no backstory really that's out now. I really do feel like our episode for Bo is outdated. At the time it wasn't. We used all the information that there was, but there was a lot of things that were being kind of covered up and hidden. And I really feel that Bo did lead a kind of secret life that has since come out. Like for example, one thing that we've learned is he had 11 phone numbers. Um, all active at once? Well, I don't I don't or just like burner phones maybe I think I think a lot like maybe he lost the phones like I, I'm assuming they probably all weren't active at once but basically 11 phone numbers could be traced recent phone numbers could be traced back to him so yeah I feel like a lot of what happened to Bo was because he had to lead a double life because he was an addict and from the sounds of it he was still in addiction but he was the face of sober grid which is you know so imagine trying to balance that um, which is why, you know, and I understand why they tried to keep things quiet, especially if they thought Bo might come back and maybe he had just relapsed. Um, but now yeah, they don't want to like ruin his business and yeah. reputation, I guess. So now that he has been found deceased, a lot of people are coming out and saying, this is what I think happened. I knew Bo, I knew him, you know, in sober living and different things like that. So we will definitely do an update on his story because it's a very sad outcome. And the, the thing is too, I also believe that there's a big division with his family <clears throat> in terms of his fiance versus his kind of mother and actual family. So I know that the fiance apparently didn't know that Bo had been found till people online told him and, you know, horrible things like that. So we will definitely do an update soon. And today we are going to get into the rest of the Gannon Stouk story. We basically did an episode like not even that long ago, the whole story up until the trial. So now we're going to get into what went down at the trial because it is, this trial was crazy, but there was so much. It was hard to watch every day or read every day and go through everything. So we're going to go through not every little detail, obviously, but all the the bulk of it, the main kind of a day by day recap, and the, and then we'll go into more detail about the main um, the know, most interesting parts. Yeah. I would say. I feel like I don't really need to have a background. I feel like most people know this case, especially if you listen to our podcast. We just did this episode, not that yeah. Long the ago. episode is only like a few weeks old, maybe I don't know, six weeks or eight weeks old. So yeah, go and listen. That's the background. I won't even say that long. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to remember because we did it just before the trial started, and I think the trial went for well, trial started on April three, so a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So this trial it started officially on April third. There was a jury of twelve people with six alternates. Prosecutor Mike Allen described Gannon's brutal murder in his opening statement. He spoke about how he'd been stabbed eighteen times, beaten, and then shot. He also explained that the case was about insanity. He said he said they intended to give evidence that showed T, the stepmother, could determine the difference between right and wrong and that she had intent. He told the court that T took deliberate action to hide the crimes and that she came up with different stories to explain what happened. Just for anyone, just to quickly interject, who's not really familiar. So there was never going to be a not guilty 
um, verdict in this trial. It was never in doubt that she did kill Gannon. It was just if she did it on purpose or if she could be found not guilty by reason of insanity. So the the fact that she murdered Gannon was never, ever, ever in dispute. It was just kind of why it happened. And like what kind of punishment she would get kind of. Yeah. So the defense attorney is Will Cook. He also spoke on this day and he asked the jurors to not – prejudge the case. He said T was legally insane when she killed Gannon. He explained that T had dealt with trauma and abuse since she was a toddler, and he alleged that she had been emotionally and sexually abused during her life. He told the court that experts would testify that T had dissociative identity disorder, um, which used to be known as multiple personality disorder, you know, which I feel like you see it more in movies where people have all these different personalities. Like that movie Split, I think it was, where he had all the different personalities. I, yeah, I think kind of the general premise of it is that often it becomes as a kind of because of a coping mechanism. So when something happens, they you know slip out of their real personality and go into another one as a method of coping with whatever the situation is. It's a pretty rare disorder to have. A lot of people, I know, Pretend they have it. Yeah, it's it sounds dumb to say, but. There's a whole like TikTok thing now where people just like pretend to have it. Well, they don't think they don't. Uh, I don't know the right word. They just act like they have this disorder and they like name all their personalities, cute different things, and show pictures of them. It's really weird. I follow a subreddit about it's called Fake Disorder Cringe, but <laughs> I just had a look and it says that there's it's a very rare psychiatric disorder with only one and a half percent of the global population. It's often misdi- misdiagnosed, which I think is kind of what you're pointing at. Like a lot of people think they may have it, but then. It's very hard to actually be diagnosed with it. I don't even know if these pe- half these people think they have it or if they're just like, I'm so quirky. Look at my personalities. Mm. It's usually younger, like teens yeah. that I'm making fun of. Um, he also said that there's no motive for this as T is insane and her actions do not make sense. He gave the explanation that T did not kill Ganon, but she was killing the demons from her childhood. I hope the clips for this are easy to find. Could you watch this trial or no? I don't even remember. I could watch bits and pieces of it on the YouTube. It was like behind um, a paywall, wasn't it? Well, I think Nine News, If you when you are looking for clips, I'm pretty sure Nine News was free. Mm. They did free ones each day, I think. I hope I can just find news clips because there's nothing worse than trying to find something in like a 45-minute yeah. video. Surely they would have. Court TV, well, I don't, know, I don't know if you can get it from Court TV because I think you do have to pay for that. But they did like daily things. Yeah. Hopefully I can just find some highlights. Mm. Three years have passed. Now opening statements begin. Accused killer and stepmother Letitia Stout sits in court in a white shirt with floral designs. She's not facing anyone with her hair covering any emotions. Gannon's biological mother Landon having to leave court overcome with emotion with the first line of prosecution's opening statements. The photos, the smiling picture of Gannon. Both sides brought up some very difficult details in Gannon's death. Hearing about him being shot. Stabbed multiple times. All in his bedroom. Defense isn't denying Letitia Stalk is the one that did everything to Gannon. Killed him, then stuffed him in a suitcase, drove him 1,300 miles to dump his body off of a bridge. Where the two sides differ, all comes down to sanity. All of her actions were purposely designed by her to distance herself from what she did. 
Throw off investigators. Buy her time. Escape accountability. Prosecution says her sanity. You'll hear her own voice through recorded phone calls and interviews. The evidence itself will prove her sanity. Defense, on the other hand, says she was insane at the time of all of this. And it's the root of trauma she has from being perpetually abused as a kid. She was molested regularly. Defense says Letitia's mom's boyfriends, who were supposed to be her caretakers, physically and sexually abused her from when she was a toddler on. They say when she was taking care of Gannon, something psychologically switched. Where the person that she was killing that day, attacking, wasn't Gannon to her. No, she was killing the demons of her life from the dark depths of her childhood and her life. During the second day, Al Stauk, who is Gannon's father, took the stand. Um, the state played a two-hour phone call that he had with T. Towards the end of the call, Al asked T point blank if she killed Gannon. She says no and is shocked and defended at the suggestion. Al spoke to the court about the last time he saw Gannon. I think we spoke about this in our last episode. He said he remembered telling Gannon that he loved him. He'd always be in his heart. And Gannon's response was like a typical kid because he was playing Pokemon and just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, it sounds weird to be like, why is Al telling him like, oh, I love you. You always have my heart. Because Al was going away for a little bit for work. Yeah. Um, so during day two, we learned more about the stories that he told regarding the candle incident. Um, we won't go back into that too much. But just as a quick refresher, she kept saying like Gannon knocked over a candle and it burned the rug and that they had to try to fix the rug. But also it like burned down the house and he burned himself and a big a big i don't even know a word for it a big mess while she was explaining the candle incident to al she said gan knocked over the candle got burnt causing a fire she told al that she jumped on gannon to put out the fire al also said that after gannon went missing he tried to find t's car if you remember she parked it and then rented another car and he went out to look for it and he couldn't find it which was a red flag to him but he said that he did expect that gannon may have been in the car. So the calls between Al and T were played into day three. T can be heard asking for immunity in these calls. I took some screenshots from one of the reporters that was there that did a good job kind of live annotating everything. Her name's Ashley Portillo. If you follow us on Instagram, you've definitely seen her post, but we'll link it in the blog or whatever too. But yeah, there's multiple calls that are some hours long. So I just kind of took out some highlights of the call because it's really, if you re read like a couple minutes of it, you basically get the whole call. Yeah. So this these tweets are from that reporter, Ashley Portillo. So we're listening to another FBI recorded phone call on the same day, February 14th, but later that night. This is now the third call we've listened to between Al and T. Uh, Al says, you told me 17 different stories now. Start over and tell me who the fuck has my boy. Who has Gannon? That's what I care about. T says, I want immunity. Al says, what the fuck does that have to do with Gannon? Al says, you want immunity because there's no fucking guy. Prove me wrong. T then asked Al what he thought happened. Al said, for the rest of my life, I'm going to blame myself for this because I wasn't there. An accident happened here of some sort. You panicked and freaked out. I just need the rest of the story. Is he safe? Is he hurt? Is he alive? Is he somewhere? T said a guy got in her truck with her and Gannon. She said she didn't have a knife to fight him off. She said Gannon was crying in the back seat and was so scared. She said the guy was with them in the vehicle as they rode all the way back home. T said her hands were tied. She had headphones and a bandana on, so she couldn't scream or get help. She said, all I could hear was Gannon screaming. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't hear anything. 
And Al said, why would you need immunity for this? And T said, I just need immunity because I didn't kill him. All I know is he was in Gannon's room and I just kept crying. I tried to fight him off. He's Mexican or mixed or black, dark, 5'7". Al said, this is even more bullshit than the original 17 stories. It's bullshit. You're spinning me in 12 different directions. Al is asking more about the guy and what his name is. T said, he first told me his name was Eduardo. And then she went on to say his name is actually Quincy Brown, who we talked about last episode, and that he was following her and Gannon in a red car. I thought he was in the car. Yeah, I know. She just She's telling so many lies. She can't even keep any of them straight. Uh, T said... The guy hurt Gannon, but she doesn't know how hurt how Gannon was hurt. She said the guy was taking boxes out and going to rob the house. And she said she was tied up in the storage room now. She said this after the police left their home. Oh, yeah. She tried to say, like, the, the guy was still hiding in there after the police came. Al said, God damn it, Tasha, make some sense out of this. It's like we're playing Clue here or something or who's who. And T said... If you want to be fucking stupid and know that Quincy Brown has your son, then be fucking stupid. And Al said, you keep lying to me, five years of lies, and now my son's gone. So that's kind of like the gist of all the calls of just arguing. And her, she's, there's other calls where she just keeps saying she wants immunity. She wants immunity. And she's like, I'll testify against him if you give me immunity, which makes like no sense. I feel like she's watched too much CSI or something. Yeah. <laughs> she's, not, she's just throwing out terms that she doesn't really understand. <laughs> <sighs> so on this day, a Florida bridge inspector that discovered Gannon's remains also testified. He said he saw two little feet in a head after finding the body in a suitcase. Um, he said, as we were inspecting the underside of the bridge and we're coming to the end of it, my partner and I noticed a suitcase it's kind of laying in a marshy area right on the edge of the bridge. We just made note to come back to it later. When we lowered down to the ground, we remember that we had seen the suitcase, finished up our inspection, went back to the suitcase, pure curiosity. I reached out for the handle and immediately noticed it was very, very heavy. Where it was at, it had a possibility of being waterlogged and being saturated just due to how heavy it was. I was the first to unzip it. As soon as we unzipped it, we noticed the smell. That's what we noticed at first. I said, I think there's something dead in here. The smell was so powering we took a step back i remember seeing two little feet in socks and we immediately knew it was a body after looking we couldn't tell male or female boy or girl we didn't know i turned away he also said there was a lot of blankets the body was in a fetal position and wrapped up and that he stopped the inspection and immediately called 911 so on day four we learned some more about T being a shady bitch she applied for a job in january 2020 to help students with special needs, but she provided a fake number for a job reference. She said the number belonged to a woman named Connie Huddle, but it was actually uh, Gannon's like kid cell phone number. <laughs> um, it was confirmed in court on day four that T was in Florida on February 4th and that she was in the same area where Gannon was found a month later. The jury were shown photos of Gannon's clothes and bedding that day, and they were also shown the bullet which had been removed from Gannon's head. A neighbor of T's took the stand that day as well and spoke about how she had been acting unusual following Gan's disappearance. The neighbor said said T never searched and did one interview where she focused on defending herself instead of asking for help in finding Gannon. The f- intelligence analyst for Colorado Springs Police Department, he also mentioned this when he testified later, and he said, in the early afternoon of January 30th, 
Letitia did an interview with KKTV. He said that she mentioned Gannon's name about a dozen times during the interview, but mentioned I, me, or my more than a hundred times. Deputy Christopher Ganstein recounted T's fight or flight response when she was presented with a warrant. He said T ran in a full sprint away from him when he handcuffed her. He said she was hysterical, screaming and yelling obscenities. These are some tweets from the trial. She said on January 30th, Sergeant Ganstein had said he was asked to start a surveillance operation on Letitia Stout to follow her and see what she was doing. He said it was weird. So I guess they were... He, we're following her in a car because it kind of does give you context here. He said it was weird because there was only two people in the car and she was sitting in the back seat. She was slouched down. She was sitting. She wasn't sitting like a normal person would sit. She wasn't sitting in the front seat either. He said that behavior is common when they're following fugitives. Um, he says like they're trying to avoid detection usually. He said the car drove to a clothing store off Woodman and Academy in Colorado Springs. He had his team inside and outside the store waiting to make contact with T and Harley. Harley's her daughter who was driving the car. T walked out of the store and Ganstein said she was surprised. She kind of froze when she saw them. He said T began walking backwards and then sprinted away and threw her keys across the parking lot. He said they accomplished what they were supposed to do, which was to obtain her cell phone and the car that they had search warrants for. He was also asked if he noticed that T was suffering a mental health crisis or disease, and he said no. I also read, I couldn't find these tweets, but I did read this day as it was going on. And I guess she was yelling and they had to um, restrain her, like handcuff her to get the phone and all that. And she was like yelling to Harley, like, don't tell them anything and just like acting wild. As usual, <laughs> doing the most. Yeah. It makes me feel so bad for Harley, like how traumatic. You know, and Harley was still so young, which I know we'll speak more about Harley later, but yeah, still so young to have to be dealing with. But she was mother. also old enough, like in her later teens, to understand kind of what was going on and like how scary yeah. it is. On day five, the doctor that conducted Gannon's autopsy testified that his cause of death was gunshot wound to the jaw, as well as blunt head trauma. A detective testified that when he searched the residence, Gannon's room smelled like ammonia bleach. A reporter testified to interviewing T on January 31st, 2020. And in the interview, she says she hoped that when Gannon came home, she got a sincere apology from her critics, especially her husband. And then she asked to redo her answer. And in the second take, she um, put on some tears and was pleading for Gannon to come home. So. Any message for Gannon? Gannon, when you get here, you'll be able to truly tell what happened. And then I really hope I get a sincere apology from everyone who has made all those things, especially from my husband. That is one of the interview clips that former 11 News reporter Spencer Wilson referenced from the stand in court. Wilson told the courtroom when the camera stopped recording, Stouk wanted to redo her message to her stepson. In this interview, she had told me that she believed he was coming home. Uh, she said yes, gave her statement. And I said, okay, we got it. And then she said, you know, what if we did that one more time? And I said, sure, whatever you want. So I went back, turned the camera back on, but this time she was crying when she was not crying the first time. I can't wait you can come home and let everyone know that you're okay. We love you. And her demeanor completely changed. On day six, T's brother testified that he saw her struggling with a suitcase. Uh, I took some more notes from the trial on this one because I, I felt the brother was very emotional. Um, his name is Dakota Lowry. 
And before the beginning of his testimony, he like yelled out to the court, to the court, why Tasha? Um, so he admitted that he is was angry at T and he didn't want to testify in the case, but was in Colorado because he was subpoenaed. During his testimony, he said that he flew to Colorado on January 30th to meet up with T and her daughter Harley. He said, We felt like she was being wrongly accused for something we thought she'd never do. We also wanted to come out here and look for him. Um, He talked about them staying at a hotel, renting a van, and then on January 31st, helping to move items that belonged to T and Harley out of the Stouk home. He said police officers were at the Stouk home, and they were keeping a close eye on things being brought out of the house. He said that he was just aggravated because I felt like we were getting looked at as criminals. They were looking at the whole family. Um, He also said they never ended up searching for Gannon when they were in Colorado in Colorado Springs because they felt like they weren't being treated fairly by people in the police. Then on February 1st, 2020, he said he and T rented another van and unloaded suitcases from the other van into the new van. He testified that he saw T moving and carrying a green suitcase that looked pretty heavy. And he said that when he saw the heavy suitcase, he said, I didn't feel right about it. And he asked T what was in the suitcase and she just said softball stuff. A photo of the suitcase that Gannon's body was found in was then shown in the courtroom. And Lowry, very emotional, said that's the suitcase that T was struggling with that he didn't feel right about. He said that he was ready to go home after that. And he said that was the last time he saw T until today. Prosecutors asked him if T knew right from wrong. He said that he thought she did and that she was too smart. When prosecutors asked him if T had mental health issues or ever referred to herself by using other names, he said no. During cross-examination, when defense lawyers asked him about T pleading not guilty by reason of insanity, he said, when everything first happened and we found out about the body and we found out where it was found, at that point, I knew she did it. And I thought she might have snapped and went crazy, but now, no. So, good for him. Hi, Pete. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) From there, law enforcement, they were tracking... Her movements in the days after Gannon vanished, they know that she moved out of the house and stayed with family at the Extended Suites Hotel, which is uh, kind of what he was talking about as well. She also rented a budget truck and drove through Texas, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, and Rhode Island. She was on a real road trip. I still can't believe that they let her go. Like, I, uh, I don't know what, I guess maybe they were just hoping she would let herself, but. I think that's what it was, because they still didn't find him at that point either. No, well, they didn't find him for six weeks after he died, so. Yeah. Law enforcement spoke in court on this day and said they found hits for blood in the garage, the laundry, basement stairs, storage room, and in Gannon's room. On day seven, T's initial statements about Gannon's disappearance were played for the jury. This included her recollection of being raped by Eduardo. We talked about that in the last episode, so we don't get too much into it here, but I think that was... That one was the scenario where she found him in the streets working on a house and needed someone to fix the carpet. So she like gave him the garage door code and then he snuck inside to attack them. Right. (laughs) That was that lie. Well, yeah, she had a whole bunch of stories. Yeah. But yeah, that was one of them about Aguado. A nurse testified regarding this and said that an involuntary physical exam was conducted on T, but no sexual assault exam was done and T left before it could take place. On day eight, a witness who took crime scene pics testified that they found a gun in the master bedroom on top of a chest of drawers. 
It appeared to hold 17 rounds and 16 rounds were counted in the guns. So just one was missing. On day nine, Harley Hunt, who's T's daughter, she took the stand. She explained that she initially believed that T had nothing to do with Gannon's death. She said, I'm still in shock. I defended her for years. I just feel like I've been manipulated and lied to. At the time of testifying, she's 20. Uh, We figured out that when this happened, she was probably 17. Um, She told the court that she had a good relationship with Gannon and his sister. The notes from that day say, when asked about their family and Gann's relationship with his stepmom, Harley said, it was different at first because we were like a blended family. We were getting used to more people in our life. They had an okay relationship. There are problems here and there. I kept this in there because I thought it kind of just shows T's ability to lie about anything, I guess. Harley testified saying her father died when she was 12 years old. She said her mom told her that someone robbed him and killed him, but Harley found out from the internet that past week that that wasn't true and that her father died from an overdose. Yes. Is that Gannon's fault? Yes. Harley Hunt getting emotional when talking about her stepbrother, 11-year-old Gannon Stouk. She testified that Letitia asked her to go pick up cleaning supplies on the evening of Gannon's disappearance. February 1st, she says Letitia came to a hotel with a rented white van and they took off on a cross-country road trip. Did you ask your mom where we're going? Yeah, the destination changed multiple times. Tell us about that. I remember she just kept saying, like, where do you want to live? Did you notice anything unusual in the back of the van? No. Smell anything in the back of it? No. Then prosecution gets direct. Did you help your mother throw that suitcase over a bridge in Pensacola, Florida? No, I did not. He asks Harley the point when she questioned her mom's innocence. I like started having questions, but I still like believed her for a while, and it wasn't until this past like November. We hear about the point when Harley decided to cooperate with the DA's office. Were you concerned that you might be charged with a crime based on the trip to Florida? Yes. What crime was it? That, that I would be like an accessory. Accessory to first degree murder, right? Yes. And did you fly out to Colorado and give us a statement? Yes, I did. And why did you do that? Because it's the right thing to do. When you gave that statement, Was there any guarantee as to whether or not we were going to file charges against you? No, there was not. Harley doesn't face charges now as she testifies about her mom's sanity. Had you ever seen your mom change personalities into someone she isn't? No. Have you ever seen her not remember who Gannon was? No. Um, She went on to describe the day that Gannon was reported missing. She said, T said that she asked them to be home by like five or six and that they were going to eat sushi. And she said when time had gone by and Gannon didn't get back, she was like, I guess you didn't want to eat sushi. And then after that, we started looking for him. When asked whether it was unusual for Gannon to not come home, she said yes. She described her mom as worried and said they drove to a friend of Gannon's and learned he wasn't there. During testimony, Harley acknowledged her mom's case getting a lot of attention on the internet and that it was difficult for her to testify right now. Basically, so Harley had work that day. She woke up to go to work, and she didn't know where her mom was. She wasn't in her bedroom. Um, around 1.24 that day, T texted Harley saying, oh my God, something isn't right. Harley talked about she received text messages on January 7th from Gannon's phone saying that T left her phone at home, which we talked about in the last episode when they went out to run errands for the afternoon, go to Petco twice, and 
wherever else they went. T, who was an avid phone user, left her phone at home. Um, even Harley said she always brought her phone everywhere. It's just weird how that particular day she left her phone at home. Harley testified that when she got home, T asked her to go to the dollar store to buy cleaning supplies to clean the burnt carpet and what was left over from the fire. And Harley said her mom told her to bring Lena with her. So she did that, went to the store. Harley said when Gannon didn't come home, they began searching for him. When asked about her mother's behavior, she said she was worried. I remember we got in the car and we drove to his friend's house. Lena walked up to the door and knocked to see if he was there. And they said no. Harley said while she was driving around searching for Gannon, T stayed home to wait for Gannon to come back. Harley said, I just thought he'd run away and was at his friend's and didn't want to come home. Um, she said she first heard that he was at a friend's house, that he was missing. She went into detail talking about text message conversations with her mom on January 28th, which is the next day. Harley said she had called me and told me to leave the house. She tried to get me to leave Lena there. I told her I didn't want to do that. I didn't feel comfortable doing that. Some of the texts that he sent to Harley said, has any other family asked where I was, like our family? I have to get an attorney fast. Who's there? I've been set up. Harley said she'd been advised multiple times by T to not answer the door for detectives, not answer any questions. Harley said she just kept saying, don't say anything. You're a minor. You shouldn't be answering questions. Um, Harley testified saying T told her to come to a hotel on the night of January 28th. She said that she didn't want to be in her house with Albert in Landon. That's Gannon's mother and his family. She didn't want me there with them either. Harley said eventually T showed up to the hotel and T said they need to go home. The two then go back to the Stout house in Harley's car. And she said she kept being paranoid, I guess you could say. Again, stressful time for Harley. If you're being an investigation, have your mom be like, don't talk to anyone. Like, I'm being set up. I need an attorney. Plus, even I just can't imagine what she's been through the last few years because a lot of people did point fingers at Harley and were like, you absolutely knew. You must have been involved. Like, it would be hard for a teenager to deal with. Yeah, it's really sad. I mean, the judge says it in the end, but I really don't think she knew. And people are like, how could she not? It's like, she she says it as well. She's like, I you just like wouldn't expect that your mom would do that. I don't know. I feel like it's your brain's way of protecting yourself in situations like this. Really, like, if I just don't think about it. Well, even when you think about Suzanne Morphew and the daughters are still supporting Barry, like I feel like if, you know, it's just the last thing you want to believe and your brain will do anything to make you believe that it's not the case. Yeah. It's not, it's not an unnatural reaction, I don't. Yeah. Especially in the Suzanne Morphew one, it's like they already lost their mom. Of course, they want to yeah. hold on to their dad and not believe it. Harley spoke about the trip with her mother across the country shortly after Gan's disappearance. She said that they drove with the car with the air conditioning on, even though it was wintertime. She was asked on the stand whether she knew or had any idea that Gan's body was in the back of the van. So the thought just never came across my mind. I just never thought my mom would do that. I didn't see her to be that person to do that. So I never even questioned it. She said a little bit more about how she didn't question it. She said, I didn't really question her a whole lot. I would be told that I'm being disrespectful or talking back. Sometimes she would backhand me to my face. When asked about T's demeanor, when they arrived at the hotel in Pensacola, Florida, Harley said she was acting normal. And Harley said that she never went into the back of the van to get clothes and that she never smelled anything unusual. She also said that um, she told the court that she was a, a hard sleeper, which I guess means like a heavy sleeper, and that she wouldn't have woken up if T left their room during the night. Because I think that's what happened is she left in the middle of the night to go 
move Gannon's body and put it under the bridge. Um, the prosecutor asked Harley, said, Miss Hun, I have Miss Hun, I want to ask you a direct question. Did you help your mother throw that suitcase over a bridge in Pensacola? And she said, No, I did not. She also said, When I found out that Gann's remains were discovered in Florida, it was just weird because, like, to myself, I was like, We were in Florida, but I kept wanting to think it was a coincidence that somebody did follow us or there was a different story. That's what I mean, just kind of like making excuses um, to not believe, like, the worst case scenario. She also said, I started having questions. I believed her for a while. It wasn't until this past November. It was recently. Harley also testified that she was concerned that she would be charged with a crime. She said that I'd be an accessory to first-degree murder. Um, she then acknowledged that she did fly back to Colorado to give law enforcement a statement. The prosecution asked her, why did you do that? And she said, because it's the right thing to do. She testified saying that her mom never changed personalities, knew right from wrong before, during, and after Gan's disappearance. And during cross-examination, she said she didn't believe her mom would do anything to hurt Gannon. She said, I woke up one day and I lost everybody, to which the prosecution responded, would have never dreamed that your mom would have done something to Gannon. And she said, I'm still in shock. I just feel manipulated and lied to. They also asked her if her mother was capable of picking up Gannon's body up and putting it in a suitcase and throwing it over a bridge in Florida. And Harley said yes. And the prosecution also asked her, do you still love your mother? And she didn't answer and put her head down as she became emotional. A lot of people are like, why did they even ask her that? And I feel like they were trying to prove a point of like she also is ruining Harley's life as well. On day 10, more information about what was found at the Stouk. Home was revealed. Commander Mitch Mahalko said he believed something violent happened in the Stouk home because of the blood patterns and stains found in Gannon's room. He said the scene was locked down on February 7th, 2020. Crime scene investigator Alyssa Barrysford analyzed the blood stains in Gannon's bedroom. On the walls, baseboard, and floor area, she said there was something dynamic that happened there, more than just a single event that happened in that room. And she also said that there was an attempt to clean the blood. She said some of the stains were blurred and altered. She also said that the blood stains indicated there had been a gunshot, blunt force injury, and sharp force. On day 11, jurors heard another call between Al and T that had been recorded by the FBI. This call took place on February 15th, 2020, and Al can be heard getting frustrated in the call as he tries to get answers from T. She says at one point, I'm tired of being portrayed as the killer of a child I love. Another call was played, and Al was being coached by an FBI agent to try to get answers from teeth. When I went to Nevada, there was this pregnant lady. So I agreed to help the pregnant lady because she was really, really pregnant. She gets, in, she gets in the car, which is why Gannon was not in the front seat. He was in the back seat. You said, wait, wait, you said when you went to Nevada? I went through Nevada. Oh, oh. I'm like, what? You're in Nevada? Anyways, go ahead. Right. When I realized she's not pregnant, once she gets in the car. Was this the same lady that was following you? I don't know oh. if they were following us. I just know there was a car following us. When I get off, I turn where Harley gets the eyelashes done because I thought I would lose them. Then I saw a pregnant lady. She looked legit like eight months pregnant. What, what kind of car was following you? Because maybe they told you this 15 times. Oh, okay. It was like a, it was a blue something. 
like a blue little car, like a Cooper or something like this. Okay, so like a blue, not red, right? Just a blue one. No, it was a, the red, the red earlier in the day was nothing. It's already been checked out. Okay, all right. Reason I know that one's been checked out because I had somebody in Lorson Ranch do it. All right, I'll just make sure I make sure I keep these cars straight. So there's the blue one, not the red one. See, this, you, I'm, I'm, no, don't get upset. Don't get upset. I'm just trying to get it straight. I'm not picking holes in your story. I'm just making sure we're on the on the blue car, okay? So now back to the pregnant lady that gets in the front seat. So the pregnant lady gets in the front seat, but she's not really pregnant. I don't know that she's not really pregnant, but she says she just needs a ride. I felt bad. She looked really, really pregnant, like long, like eight months. Hmm. Hmm? I said, hmm, I'm just listening. You know what? I'm not going to help if you're going to do this to me. Listening and believing? I really, really came in this to be honest with you. Okay, and I'm just listening. Another phone call was heard, this one between T and an FBI agent. T was asked to describe in detail about the day Gannon disappeared, and she said that she tried to get Al a bike from Craigslist, and then she went to Dunkin' Donuts and Petco twice. T then explained how when she and Gannon got home, she heard a loud noise downstairs. T said when she went downstairs, a man was standing near the storage room, and that is that another story that we talked about in the last episode where eduardo was waiting in the house for them and she gave eduardo the garage code or whatever so he could come in and fix the candle burn carpet and all that stuff instead he came in to fuck them up on day 12 the jury saw more calls and footage one of the pieces was over five hours long and it showed t being questioned by police she was told that she was being arrested for murder and her rights were explained to her she said so gannon was murdered the fbi agent grusin explained that they can't have that conversation unless she's been advised of her rights we would teach John, John Grusing at the FBI, met you in the mall parking lot. Do you know why you're here? Did they inform you, the officers, of why you're under arrest? I'm under arrest? Yes. For what? For uh, damage stops. Uh, a warrant was issued out of Colorado. Okay, but no, someone could have just called me. A big thing now would have Yeah, and apologize for that. Um, because of the nature of the warrant, it being a murder warrant, there's, there's, and that's what I'd like to talk with you about today. That's why we're not having a cast of thousands here and whatever, is we would like to get to the bottom of what happened there. Um, I know that a lot of things have gone on with your life, a little bit of how this turns out. Okay. But because you were arrested and you're not free to leave, I need you to sign of advice or rights before we can talk. Well, I mean, so I'm getting charged with what now? So you were charged in... Uh, the judge in Colorado Springs signed mm-hmm. off. So the way this case worked mm-hmm. was El Paso County got the first, the original case. They didn't have enough manpower to work it. Okay. So they called the FBI. Right. Uh, part of the, for the, for the FBI, um, an extension of the profiling unit, mm-hmm. and I came in and assisted. And I've been helping for about the last three weeks. Okay. So our evidence response team, you've probably seen that on the news, we've been doing some searches, et cetera. And then other FBI agents have been writing warrants. So a lot of warrants have been written. We've gone through the court. El Paso Sheriff's Office and FBI have worked together. Mm -hmm. And we found enough, you call it probable cause, Mm -hmm. 
for a warrant to be issued. So that's why you're here today. Okay, a warrant for what, though? It was for the murder. What murder? Gannon, Gannon Stout. So Gannon is murdered. That's what the evidence shows. Okay. And I'm happy to share with you evidence, but we can't have a conversation unless you're advised of your rights. Okay, what am I right? So I've stopped it at 12 minutes, Judge, um, just as a pause. In the beginning portion of that, uh, Mr. Grusing, when you're advising her that she's been charged with murder, um, it appears that she acts like she's confused. Um, what was your impression of that? Uh, yeah, so eventually she asked me, so Gannon's been murdered. But yeah, she appeared to be confused as to why she was there and what investigation might have been going on at the time. Um, she makes a statement, um, you could have just called me. Yes. Was that basically indicating that could have just called her and she would have come in and talked? T said she had an attorney but agreed to speak with the agent and at no point asked for her lawyer. During the conversation, T repeatedly told the agent that Gannon is alive and, quote, I can help you, but she needed someone who is going to help me. She said that she needed protection for her family. I guess this goes into our whole immunity thing that we mentioned earlier as well. She was really big on having protection and immunity during this whole investigation. Yeah, and some of the calls that she had with Al in the beginning, she kept trying, like, going down the route of, like, no, this guy has, like, all of our information. Like, he knows everything about us. Like, he's going to harm our family. And that's why she was, like, afraid to talk at, at that time. So the FBI, same FBI agent, John Grusin, his uh, testimony went into day 13. He said that T would often challenge him on statements about knowing what happened to Gannon. This information, again, is from Ashley Portillo. It says T was talking about God during parts of her interview, saying the truth will come out one day and she will show the entire world. T said that she knew nothing negative about Gannon. She said, Gannon was happy. Gannon is my favorite stepchild, my baby. The FBI agent asked questions over and over to T about what her last image and kind of last memory of Gannon was. She said that she saw nothing negative. She said, Gannon was happy. Gannon is my favorite stepchild, my baby. She never, though, fully answered what her last memory of Gannon was. So the FBI agent also asked T if she didn't hurt him, why was it a problem for her to tell him what the last memory and image of Gannon was? The FBI agent said, if she's saying she's innocent of this, then the questions that I'm asking should be easy for her to answer. So the interview kind of then ended without T giving her last memory and they walked outside of the room. The FBI agent said that T knew where different lines of questioning would go and that it would be damaging for her to answer truthfully. His testimony ended by acknowledging that T never changed personalities, she never talked in a Spanish accent, and she never wanted to be called other names. And just as background, because this will come up a few times before we really get into it, is because basically T's defense is that it was her other personality from her multiple personalities order and that personality specifically is named maria sanchez and speaks with an accent so when you hear them asking if did she ever talk in a spanish accent did she ever use a different name that's why so t's attorney will cook then cross-examined the fbi agent they asked about t referring to herself in the third person and he said that this wasn't unusual or odd to him during cross-examination, FBI agent Grusin was also asked how many stories T told about the disappearance, and he said there were five to ten different stories. The defense passed the witness after that. Grusin then testified, saying her not being able to articulate the last image of Gannon was very indicative that the last image was awful. I came away with more of a certainty that something bad had happened to Gannon. It's interesting because you would have thought with all these stories, she could have just pulled 
a happy last memory of Ganon. Like, I just saw him leaving the house going to see his friend. You know, he was really happy and said he'd be home for sushi. Like, it's not that hard to make something up. With all the lies that she's told. Yeah. This is where she crumbles. It's interesting. Like, the last image of that she had of him was so bad that she couldn't even move beyond that, it seems, is kind of what they're insinuating. Yeah. At first I thought it was kind of like a dumb... I mean, they're obviously professionals, but at first I was like, meh. But it does make sense where it like kind of caught her off guard, like thinking of the actual last image and last memory. And she doesn't also seem like the most intelligent, you know, for her not to be able to move beyond that isn't, I guess, when you think about it, really surprising. Yeah, it does show like guilt. Yeah. On day 14, FBI agent Kevin Hoyland spoke about cell phone data that had been taken from phones belonging to T, Gannon, and Harley. There were two outgoing calls made from Gannon's phone at 7.30 p.m. on January 27. He had already been reported missing, though, by that point. The GPS data that they got from T's car shows that she was in the area of Palmer Lake on January 28th. So if you remember from the last episode, they did find some of Gannon's blood on like a particle board in that area. So that was the area where her car was on January 28th. On February 4, her van was powered up at 4.15 a.m. in Florida, and that was less than two miles from where Gannon's body would eventually be found. So I feel like that must be where she, like, snuck out of the hotel room and at, left And Harley that's when there. Harley said she was the hard sleeper. That would be them. They interviewed a Dr. Christine Moore, who was the mental health director at the El Paso County Jail, and she talked about an assessment that she did on T on March 5, 2020. She said T appeared calm and polite throughout the interview. She denied having any disorders, inpatient or outpatient treatment. That same doctor assessed T on March 9, so a few days later, and T described herself at the time as mentally fine and not guilty. Uh, Dr. Moore told the jury that T's behavior was consistent with someone exaggerating or making up mental health sorry, make, making up mental health symptoms to try and avoid charges in the case. T had apparently said in her initial assessment that she had anxiety, but she denied any disorders, treatment, or any suicide attempts. T and the doctor met dozens of times after that, and it was only months after their initial meeting that T began raising concerns about her competency and her her anxiety getting worse. Later that year, T started talking about seeing demons in court and said that she was hallucinating, and then she reported that she was bipolar, she had multiple personalities, and she had PTSD. I like how she's telling the doctor. Yeah, this, I've got this. I've got this. Yeah. Um, the doctor said that this was inconsistent with the first meetings that she had with T. Um, and at the end of her testimony, Dr. Moore said that she believed T's behavior was consistent with someone acting out and making up symptoms to dissolve the charges instead of being a true diagnosis. So Dr. Moore, again, kind of backtracking a little bit, she did interview T on March 20, 2020, and that was after around the time that Gannon's body was found, and that was when T was told that his body had been found. The doctor said that T was described as tearful and overwhelmed, and she denied ever being in Florida. And that when we mentioned earlier that basically T never mentioned anything about competency, she first did that in June 2020, so months and months after she'd first met with the doctor. On day 15, Dr. Jackie Grimmett, who's a forensic psychologist, testified about completing a competency evaluation on T. So this one happened in December 2020 to determine if T had a mental disability. So in our last episode too, we spoke about kind of all this back and forth and how T was declared not fit and then fit. You know, this went on for a long time. The doctor testified that T understood the proceedings and was able to assist in her defense. Dr. Grimmett did say that T told her a story about vampires visiting her in her jail cell, but she later admitted she got the names from Twilight. (laughs) Um, 
Dr. Grimmett spoke about this kind of vampire chat. She said, at some point she talk, turned around to talk to me, then she talked to someone else. She said she was talking to a vampire. Um, she goes on to kind of describe her other interactions with T as well. She said at one point she was humming to herself. She was hitting her head on the wall. She seemed happier than she should have been. T also told Dr. Grimmett about two instances where she found herself in places that she hadn't planned on being. She just stopped, told the doctor that she had various personalities and that she'd named them. She had Taylor, Tisha, Jasmine, and another one was Jasper. But no, no Maria Sanchez. Not yet. At this yeah. time. So the doctor does go on to mention what we spoke about before, how dissociative identity disorder only affects around 1% of people. Um, and she said basically that people who do have that disorder can be strange. They can't hold down jobs or hold relationships. And she said basically that T's history doesn't support any of that. She said that T had selected names for her personalities based on things that she lacked and aspirations that she had. She said alter egos present themselves to you. You don't create them essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, she just went into detail then about the vampires. She said there was a vampire called Justice and there's a button where her, in her cell where she could summon them. Um, and she said that she'd been experiencing vampires since her stay in Alaska, and that's when she went and talked about Twilight. So Dr. Grimmett then spoke about T's vampire story. She said it sounded like a fabrication. It sounded like she was conveying a story from fiction. She did say that she believed T has a personality dysfunction, including borderline personality disorder and narcissistic personality. I believe, though, that the doctor also said that T did have some of the traits of those, but she didn't qualify to be fully diagnosed with either of those. No, I think that's why they said dysfunction. Um, Another doctor testified, Dr. Leandra Torres. She said that she can pick – so this is what I mean. So back and forth, so many evaluations. She conducted a competency evaluation and a sanity evaluation on T last year in 2022. She said that T's story changed because of the evaluations that she administered. In 2020, T said that she had been molested when she was 12 years old, but then in 2022 said that she had been molested from age nine. In August 2020, she had denied receiving inpatient treatment for mental health issues, but in December 2020, she said she had received treatment in Canada and she repeated that story again in 2022. So there's a video that the jury was shown of T's insanity evaluation she in the video she can be seen saying that when she was she was 10 or 11 years old and she created the personality of harmony and she let harmony get molested and not herself she spoke said that taylor was her main personality maria is the protector so now we're introduced to maria toria has the most empathy t is bipolar and doing the most that's in quotes (laughs) doing the most t apparently asked staff at one point whether or not they could tell a patient is faking instability or illness (laughs) Um, she always gives herself away. Yeah, and the doctor said that you don't really see that very often for someone, I guess, who is really suffering from these disabilities and disorders. Yeah. Um, the jury saw more video of her evaluation and they said that T in the video said that the devil is telling her to do things. Dr. Torres said that's not a credible symptom of dissociative identity disorder. And then prosecutors asked Dr. Torres on that day if it appeared that T switched personalities to Maria. The prosecutors asked Dr. Torres what her kind of thoughts were on T saying she turned into Maria when Gannon was killed. The doctor said, I would think, or that my understanding of disassociative identity disorder, these different personality states have their own details associated with them. To me, in terms of T's self-report, her presentation, it has always been confusing to me how all the personalities seem to have an awareness of T's own history. Basically, like the personalities 
don't know each other. Yeah, they should be standalone. They shouldn't be, hey, Maria comes out when this happens or Harmony comes out yeah, when like this happens. Yeah, like all in everyone's business. Yeah. So on day 16, T said she felt sick and this delayed the trial. She'd been warned by the judge about making noises in court when she disagreed with what the witnesses were saying. So T had bad behavior during this trial. She was seen- Flipping people off. Yeah, giving the bird. Like, And at one stage, she was like kind of huddled down, almost like she didn't want anyone to see her. She was not well-behaved at all. Even in that part that we just skipped over a little because it was a little confusing, but- I guess they were saying stuff that T said and she was the reporter heard her say to her attorney, like, I never said that. Yeah. So Dr. Torres returned to the stand that day. The jury was shown a portion of an interview between T and her. In the clip, T described an accidental shooting where she apparently shot someone who was wearing a cape, but she said that she later learned that this was Gannon. T said that she would never purposely hurt Gannon and that she'd been traveling between her personalities. And she also said that she could bring Gannon back from the dead. Dr. Torres gave her opinion on T's sanity. She said it was that Miss Stark was sane at the time of the crime. So Stephanie earlier mentioned the intelligence analyst Kevin Clark. He testified on day 17. He spoke about how it wasn't typical for T to back the car into the garage or driveway, but that she did that on the days following Gannon's disappearance. I put the link there. There's a, there's a really good breakdown of all the stuff that he went through. It's very, very long, so we're not going to read all of it, but we'll put the link to the whole Twitter thread of it that you can go through. But I definitely recommend reading it because it was probably one of the most interesting parts for me to go through. So we'll talk about some of it here. It has even more of her searches, like exactly her exact movements that day, and it was really interesting to look at. So he spoke to the jury about how he'd studied T's phone records. And we also touched on this in the other episode that she basically used her phone all the time, except on the day that Gannon disappeared. Her phone use stopped from late morning till the early afternoon. Uh, He also testified that he found notes in her phone titled with the info in the case of a missing child, Gannon Stark, that included questions like, did you accidentally hurt him in a physical way? Did you murder your stepson? Do you know who personally was involved in your stepson's disappearance? So. And that was for her. That was her prep for the fake polygraph um, website. Yeah. So they did also release some more information about some searches that she'd made online. These are just unbelievable. So we'll read most of them. Yeah, because it's worth it. Yeah. I need to change my look to hide face disguise, full face and change. First face transplant woman, full face transplant, face transplant near me, full face plastic surgery. Um, other searches that she made, shock from one, watching someone get shot. Face. Ma- she literally gives so much away in these searches alone. She needs to hook up with um, Anna, Anna Walsh's husband. These might be worse. Yeah. Face mask that looks real to disguise. How long does it take to get DNA? How long does it take to get DNA results from crime scene? How long does it take to police to get DNA results? How long does it take to police to get DNA results in Colorado? How long does it take police to get DNA results in Colorado Springs? <laughs> so she's obviously thinking as she's, I feel like as she's Googling, okay, no, Extreme I, I need to be specific, you know, Colorado general, you know, I need a social security to hide. Apply for a social if I lived on an Indian reservation. Kadiva <laughs> dog. Do they check in ditches under bridge? Maintenance under ditches in bridge, which is funny because that's in the end what got her was exactly. someone ex- inspecting yeah. the bridge. Can I get a plea with no jail time? Criminally negligent homicide in Colorado. Can I find a rich guy? Throw that in. <laughs> like, I wonder what, what she thought was going to come up when she searched that. Um, can they trace Snapchat? Colorado closed cases. Drug cartels in Colorado Springs. Bluff my call app. 
what are some Mexican drug cartel phone numbers? <laughs> what what do they do when they find a person's body in another state? How do they identify bodies found in another state? Make a fake Snapchat video. Can the FBI go to Los Canos? Um, create a recording of someone's voice and change the word. Add someone's voice in a video. Change someone's words in a video. I need a fake marriage license. So this is what she's Googling like before Ganem. Yeah. Here's just the last few that we'll read out. How do police tell whose body's been found? Can God help me escape jail time? (laughs) How do they identify whose blood is at the scene? Find people who want to go to jail. Spanish girl name. So there's Maria. Find an immigrant who will admit to a crime. Like what? How how long does a body start to decompose in a bag? What does a dead body look like after a month? Active drug cartels in Mexico. Mexico, sorry. Bluff my call free. Address of drug cartels. Current drug cartels. How does the FBI find people? How does the FBI find fugitive? So she Googled Casey Anthony. Then she Googled Casey Anthony and Patrick McKenna. When does FBI take over a case? How to make my fingerprints not scan? Fingerprint rubber. (laughs) So just from that alone, she searched about the ditch under the bridge, another state, um, the gun, the shooting, the trauma of shooting someone. Um, She's can't even believe what I I, I just love to know what she thought was going to happen. Like, I can't believe she thought she was going to get a full face transplant. The first one <laughs> in Colorado Springs. <laughs> um, and also just like Mexican cartel drug drug cartel phone number. Like, oh, that's like right at the top of Google, their phone number. Find an immigrant who will admit to a crime. So it's like, like she was trying to find someone who'd be quite happy to go to jail and admit to Gannon's murder. She's totally racist because everything, anytime she made out a person, they were yeah. black or Spanish or yeah. had a darker skin There was color. never, ever any white people mentioned in terms of the crime. It was always- Even her fake personality. Yeah. And now she's looking at Mexican drug cartels, immigrants who will admit to crimes. Like, what? Who would ever? So- the kind of final bit from the intelligence analyst was that there was an outgoing call placed from Gannon's phone to Gannon's mother's phone at 10.03 that night that he went missing. Uh, it was testified that basically Gannon would not have been alive when that call was made. That part, like, disgusts me the most, almost. I don't know why it's such a small part of the crime, but that little part really made me be like, ugh. I know, trying to call his mother in another state. It's, and, you know, she yeah. just, because she hates the mom so much. Yeah. Um, so after calling 50 witnesses, the state rested its case on day 18. Dr. Rhonda Nita Hauser was next on the stand. She treated T in 2019 and diagnosed her with generalized anxiety. She said that T was not a danger to herself or others and that she didn't show signs of a severe mental disorder. They also got a Dorothy, Dr. Dorothy Lewis to testify. This doctor was an expert in serial killers and disassociative identity disorder. She said that she believed T switched into a different identity as a result of childhood abuse. And she also said that she thought that T does not know what happened to Gannon and that she wasn't sane at the time of the killing. So Dr. Lewis continued her testimony again on day 19. The jury was shown some excerpts of a 14-hour interview from 2022 where T spoke in an accent as Maria. She said that she shot Gannon because she thought he was an intruder and that he wasn't supposed to die. It wasn't supposed to be him. So some information from Ashley Portillo again. It says T is discussing her different personalities and right now she's Taylor. The doctor said, how honest are you with me? And T said, I am honest with you. She said, on January 27, 2020, I had reported Gannon missing because he was. I was calm first, but I didn't think anything was wrong. 
I thought he was just playing a hiding challenge and he would be okay. I thought he would come out of his hiding spot. Dr. Lewis then said, I need to talk to Maria. T had written down prior to this, this is a quote, Maria said she wouldn't come on her terms, but don't think she answers to anyone. T can only talk to her, not me, not Taylor. So T spoke a little bit more about when she realized Gannon was missing. She said he was missing. I think she's still being being Taylor. Yeah, yeah. So when they say, like they say T, it's apparently Taylor. So he was missing. Then I called 911. I started to panic after a couple of minutes. That's when I started to get worried because I realized it had started to rain and get cold outside. Again, as Taylor, she said, I didn't, I did try to bring him back. I started praying over him and tried to bring him back to life. He didn't come back to life. The doctor asked, where was he lying? And Taylor T said, in my arms. She goes on to say, I'm not a monster. I'm not a monster. People thinking I'm just a mass murderer and I killed someone under no circumstances. Did I know it was Gannon? I never knew it was him. Where'd she get mass murder? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know anymore about anything about her. She just comes out with what she, anyway. So then T started talking in what sounded like a Russian accent, saying there was someone in the home who was trying to hurt them. She said, you don't understand. I had to protect all the people that were in the house. I pr- had to protect them and that's all I did. I'm trying to kill. That's what I do. So, sorry. Then she goes back to Maria. So, she goes from Russian to being Maria. No, I'm Maria try- is, is the Russian. No, but I she thought Maria was um, Mexican, Spanish. Spanish. I know, but she's doing it. I don't, I feel like she was probably trying to do a Spanish accent, but it sounded Russian. <laughs> oh, goodness. But the anyway, one with okay. that accent of some sort is Maria. Okay. All right. So, the Russian accent was also Maria, who is apparently Hispanic, though, or Spanish. So Maria said, I'm trying to kill. That's what I do. That's what I do for a living. I took the gun and fired the gun at someone who had a cape on, a dangerous man. All I did, cape. And I fired the gun. I did not know, didn't have a safety. I didn't know any of that, but that's what I do. I'm trained to do that. Okay, you're trained to kill. Okay, you're trained to kill. That's what I do. I'm trained to kill. That's what I do. Trained to kill. Okay. That's what I do. Kill for a living. Okay. Dr. Lewis asked T, Maria, whoever it is at that point, how she got the accent. T said, This is how I talk. Then she went on to say, That's what I do. I killed the man. I'll protect the people I love. That's what I always do. I did what I was supposed to do. I killed a threat. Dr. Lewis says to Maria that it's nice to meet her, and she goes to shake her hand, and Maria gives her a fist bump. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, really going for it she's really going for it so the clip of this is an hour and 30 minutes long the clip begins with the dr lewis reading the confession in latin written by maria so t maria says she gets flashbacks from that day that gannon was killed she said blood cape i remember seeing someone in a cape i remember a baby crying and then seeing someone in a cape dr lewis asks maria why did she get rid of gannon's body and she said she did not do that i know a lot of people um they asked T Maria about shooting the man in the cape and Dr. Lewis said did it turn out to be Gannon and the answer was not until later later on it was Gannon but it wasn't supposed to be I had to call some friends to help me out I had to get rid of the body T I guess still Maria said to the doctor what would you do if a man was in your home and the doctor said probably run like hell and T answered I do different things I have the special training in my past life um so T as Maria was asked about shooting Gannon. She said, I don't care that I hurt people because it's for the good. I don't shoot crappy shots. My first thought was to get rid of the body. Dr. Lewis asked her, how do you feel about Harley? So that's her daughter that we mentioned earlier. 
Maria said, that has nothing to do with me. I protect Leticia. Someone asked, another person asked Maria. It's like the guy who is recording the camera who also okay. works there. Asked, how did Gannon get all the cuts on him? And the answer was, there was no cuts. I didn't. I don't know anything about cuts. I did not know this. I did not cut anyone. So she was really doing the most there to try and, and get them all that to go- believe. That went on and on longer, but that was the kind of like the Just most interesting part. So Dr. Lewis, Dr. Lewis said T's actions were crazy and they weren't logical or smart. So after the jury was dismissed on this day, the judge asked T if she would testify and she confirmed that she would not. But would Maria? <laughs> it's, it's interesting that the kind of prosecution went on for 18 days and T, he, her defense was essentially like a day and a half. It's not a lot, but. Yeah. Anyway, um, closing arguments came on day 20. Prosecutors emphasized the brutality of Gannon's death. They also spoke about how T attempted to conceal the crime and that this showed premeditation. The prosecution said this showed T was sane because she was trying to manipulate and misdirect the investigation. The prosecution argued that T killed Gannon because she hated him and she wanted to leave Al to start a new life. T's defense rebutted that she had no motive to kill Gannon and that this meant she must have been psychotic. They also argued that the brutal way in which Gannon died confirmed that T was psychotic. The jury deliberated for a few hours before they broke for the weekend. I know at the time everyone's like, wow, I really thought that they would have a verdict that day and, you know, people started to be like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? I feel but, like they're supposed to go through certain things though or something. like And make 100%. And because I, I feel I'll probably be an appeal or something, so maybe they were just trying to be as thorough as they could. Yeah. Anyway, getting ahead of ourselves. Because the jury reconvened on Monday, May 8, and they quickly announced that they had reached a verdict. They found T guilty on all counts. So that was first-degree murder, murder of a child under 12 by a person in a position of trust, tampering with physical evidence, and tampering with a deceased human being. So T showed no emotion as the verdict was read. The judge started sentencing T around 30 minutes after she was um, declared guilty. Judge Werner made his feelings clear. He said that the case was the most horrific that he had ever seen and that T had, had showed no remorse during the whole process. There are some – he his kind of statement was very emotional, very heartfelt. He, he became very emotional. Very well spoken. Yeah. So we'll just pick out some of the main points of what he said. A parent's worst nightmare is getting a phone call, letting them know that something has happened to their child. How much worse must that nightmare be when law enforcement asks, not for a picture of your loved one, but rather DNA and dental records? I've also heard it said that one of the worst tragedies a parent can experience is to outlive a child. I cannot fathom the pain Mr. Stauk and Ms. Bullard have experienced as a result of the defendant's actions. A sentence in a criminal case such as this will not change the fact that their son's life was taken from them, and no sentence I impose and nothing I say will ever change that fact. Ms. Stauk, you betrayed the person you loved enough to marry. You told your husband lies and took away someone he loved. You took away every day that Mr. Stauk or Ms. Bullard could have had with their son. When you take a life, regardless of how you do that, you forever alter the future. Neither Mr. Stauk nor Ms. Bullard will ever see their son graduate from high school, go through the joy and the pain of that first love, or get married. 
They will never know what kind of impact their son may have had on the world if only he had lived to become an adult. And had Gannon's body not been found, they never would have known what happened to Gannon. You betrayed your daughter, Harley Hunt. I cannot imagine the emotional impact that you have had on her due to your selfish and calculated actions. This is a young woman that trusted you to put her interests above yours. This is a young woman who believed in you and believed you were innocent of this crime right up until the time that you pled not guilty by reason of insanity. And she still loves you. That's natural for a child and it doesn't matter how much older they get. You were supposed to protect her. I cannot imagine the guilt she feels or the therapy that she will need to address your portrayal. There is no evidence that she had anything to do with the murder or your cover-up of it, but some people still think that she is somehow involved. She wasn't. The incredible strength of will and courage that it took for her to come in and testify is amazing to me. But she did it because, as she said, it was the right thing to do. And while thankfully she didn't testify, let's not forget about Lena. You betrayed her too. You took her brother from her and forever altered her family dynamics. She will always wonder who she can trust and will always feel that loss. She was there the day you killed Gannon. His body was still in the house when she got back from school. At some point, you even claimed this eight-year-old girl helped you move her brother's body from the basement to the back of your car. That's just simply not true. As she gets older, Lena is going to want to know more, and she's going to want to know if there was something that she could have done to prevent this. I hope she comes to realize that she has no fault in all of this. You betrayed your stepson, and you took his life. You took away everything he was and everything he could ever become. I can't imagine the terror and confusion that he must have felt in the last moments of his life when he knew his life was being taken by someone he trusted to protect it. Your attempt to raise the claim that you did this because of your adverse childhood is also a betrayal of people that have mental health issues. It is no secret that there is a large part of our population that has mental health issues. It's also no secret that our country and our health system could do a much better job addressing mental health issues than it does. However, the number of people with mental health issues who become violent is small, and the number who become murderers is smaller still. Your claim that a mental health issue caused the murder in this case is a disservice to all those who struggle with mental health issues every day. The district attorney, Michael Allen, also made a statement. He said the loss of Gannon from his family and to this community will never be made right through the process. We all know that. The defendant, through her own actions, tore Gannon's family apart, tore this community apart, and at the same time, I've never seen a community come together the way this community did over an 11-year-old boy that most of us never knew. The defendant manipulated this community, Gannon's family, and the investigation. I've never seen the kind of horror this defendant brought down on the family and this community. No matter what the sentence is, we'll never bring Gannon back, but it will go a long way in healing the community. I hope healing Landon and I hope healing Al. So Landon also made a statement. 
I miss you, Gannon, and I love you to the moon and back and back again. I know every day you're with me and your sisters, but that will be never that will never be taken away. The ache that I have for you, to hold you, to hug you, to tell you how much I love you, and to see your smile and your innocence. I remember all the pain your dad and I suffered with having children. It was never easy, and we were always fearful through the process. On September the 29th, 2008, our lives were forever changed. Our first biggest blessing came into the world, weighing only one pound and six ounces. You fought all the odds and developed a personality and a smile that's larger than life. You became my hero that day. You forever changed my heart and my life, and that will never change. That is something that can never be taken away from me. Mm-hmm. You came into this world fighting. And unfortunately, you left this world fighting. Your Honor, she fought against someone that he loved and trusted. Someone that myself and Albert both trusted and loved. Someone who can never understand what it means to love or trust anyone but herself. For more than three agonizing years, I've often wondered what I may say, or if I would even be able to. For three years, I have questioned every single possibility and scenario. For three years, I have tried to forgive you, but I can't. I want to. But no parent should have to bury their child. No parent should have to see or hear the horrific things you have done to the whole family. She has taken away the most precious gift in this world. Not just my family, not Al's family, but your own family. She destroyed dozens of lives, lives of people who never wanted to believe that she could have done this. She knew how special Gannon was, and she knew what meant to most of me. I, in my heart, can never understand her hatred and insecurities when it came to me. I did love her. Mother to mother, I trusted her with my children while trying to survive a complicated life with my third child. And you used She used every opportunity to write a narrative of my life to, again, to try to take pieces of my life. You searched, she searched so hard for love when all along she had it, but she took it for granted. I didn't hold anger against you then. I still kept my heart open to her. She had so, you had so much love from Lena and Gannon, from Harley, her own daughter, that you willingly, you willingly subjected to the chance of serving time for her crimes. Such an indicator of her inability to love anyone herself. You had support, appreciation for me, even when we couldn't see eye to eye, because I valued her for helping, helping me with our children when I physically couldn't. I still appreciated that they were loved by you. So I thought she had everyone fooled. She projected abuse and addiction claims against all of us, not just me, when all along she was the one harming innocent children, anything to take the light off, manipulating us, breaking my kids, and murdering my son. I can't say that she ruined my life because that would be some form of sick victory for her. 
Because even through this process, it's been a game to her. Instead of allowing her to take that power of hurting me further, I wanted to tell you this. Let me tell you what Gannon has done. Even to this day, even after you murdered him and she tried to taint any positive image of him, he has caused families and communities to come together. Children and adults have given their life to Christ. He has called unity in times of trial. He is a hero. You even, she even tried to steal that away. You stole so much from this world. Gannon's cousins, aunts, uncles, sisters, new siblings, grandparents, and friends are missing a huge portion of their lives without Gannon. Lena is missing her brother. Your Honor, I've never seen a bond between two siblings so close as theirs. She had to take that. Why? I'm afraid we may never know that answer, will we? He is not forgotten and never will be. And it's so sad to sit here today and face her, a person even Gannon loved, one that I know while she was attacking and killing him and fought for his life, he defended himself against her, still loving her. A love she never deserved from him. I've sat here for over a month having to listen to her sick lies, even as she tried to destroy who I was and Albert as a father. I've had to sit and listen and watch every reenactment of images no one wants left in their mind. You wanted to leave us with that, knowing it would torture us. But you underestimated me. I am Landon, Gannon's mom, and that will never change. So Al also asked the judge at the time to strip T's last name of her. He didn't want to have her associated with the Stark name anymore. So in terms of kind of an apology to Gannon, he said, I would never have left you home alone with the murderer and the person who would be the last one to see you alive. The poem I read is named Invictus. Translated from the Latin means unconquerable. I quoted this same poem at Gannon's memorial here in Colorado Springs back in August of 2020. Why August of 2020, when his body was ripped to shreds on January 27th? Well, as we heard testimony to, his body was found 1,370 miles away. And then the process to identify his maggot-infested remains withheld him from us until July. As I stated in my testimony on the stand, Gannon was born severely premature and barely filled my two hands the first time I held him. At the end of his life, after his body was cremated into a pile of ashes, he was ultimately no bigger than the first time I held him. Get it? I never in my wildest dreams would have ever thought you'd be in danger, buddy. Or I know I wouldn't have not left you. At home with what turned out to be your murderer and the last person to ever see you on this earth. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Through a father's eyes, children are truly a gift from God, and among the best and most perfect creations God can make. Your Honor, I do need to clear one thing up with the defense. It was said both in the opening statement and in the closing, somehow again it has been compared to a demon. And I understand the process, I do. But if they want to take the case up of Gannon being a demon, I will line people up from Alaska to Denver to Colorado Springs all the way to South Carolina to testify against them. Gannon was nobody's demon. I don't care how much anyone was abused or anything. He was not anyone's demon. Gannon was truly my buddy. 
So T was sentenced to two life sentences without parole, 12 years in prison for tampering with a deceased human body and 18 months for tampering with physical evidence. So she will hopefully never, ever, ever be out of jail again. She's going to be up to some antics in jail. Yeah, I have no doubt that there will be an appeal. Um, but at this point, I'm like, why are you bothering? <laughs> like, it's all come out now. What I don't even know what she could appeal, that she really was insane, but it's just a mess. And hopefully she stays behind bars where she should be. Yeah, and it was the whole trial was just wild. Like, it had so many twists and turns, all of just tea being wild. Like, and I, we said this last time, she is definitely insane in some sort of way or just mentally ill, I guess, is the better thing to say. But I still do think that she knew what she was doing. I think the yeah. multiple personality disorder is bullshit, even though they have an expert saying that they believe that she could have had it. By that point, T was putting on like her best, the best performance of her lifetime. And also, I worked at a law firm and like these expert witnesses, I feel like Yes, they're experts and they know a lot, but they are being paid by the side that they're on. Yeah. So. I also find it interesting that the Dr. Lewis, I think it was, is an expert in serial killers. I'm like, why is that even relevant in this case? Yeah. She knows a lot smart. about it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and you know, yeah. But yeah, it's like. I feel like Gannon's case, there's a lot of very passionate people. Obviously, in this episode, we did we there is no way we could touch on 18 days, you know, go through every single minute of 18 days of testimony. What we've tried to do is pick out the most important bits, the bits that tell most of Gannon's story. So um, that is kind of what we've tried to achieve with the episode today. If you really want to on YouTube, and it, we've linked a lot of them in the blog, there are streams of every single day of evidence. So you can go and you can watch the eight hours a day for 18 days if you would like to see every single bit that happened in the trial. It's all out there. It's all on YouTube. And if you'd rather read the reporters that we mentioned, like they all did a really great job annotating every single day. Yeah, but I know, and it's the same with like the Valo trial. There's going to be people who watched every single minute of, of you know, testimony in the trial this is an overview and that we hope told the main parts of Gunnan's story. Yeah. Um, all right. So pretty long episode, but that is it. It's not really much to talk about. I feel like we did a lot of talking about it the last Gannon episode. Yeah. Now we have a lot of answers. Maybe you never even, it's, it's like, you still don't know what's a lie. I do feel that this that the outcome is the most what is the outcome that was the most likely. I think everyone thought that she would be found guilty. Um, I don't think there were many people who thought there were, was a chance that she could get off. Um, no. So, finally, hopefully, justice has been served for Gannon. Yes. All right. So, like we said, everything will be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. All the links, that cool like timeline I was talking about, all the reporters, all that on our blog, truecrimestudyblog.com. Follow us on Instagram. We're always posting there. Daily updates, big cases, small cases. Fun place to interact with everyone at True Crime Society. And you can follow our personal accounts. Mine is StephSum underscore. Olivia's TCS Olivia. We'll post if you want to know more about us there. See Peep in action, all that. If you're listening on Spotify, make sure you're actually following us. Like on the main page for our podcast, there's a little button that says follow. Make sure you click that and you can leave us some nice little comments on all the episodes. Um, so that's a fun thing to do too. 
whatever platform, subscribe, review, all that, share it with your friends, post your Instagram story, all that. I'm very tired and out of breath now, so (laughs) you guys know what to do. And we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Peace out. See ya. Oh, 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 oh,